0: Please grab a seat. Well, they didn't give me a stopwatch or a timer, so I feel sorry for you, but they very wisely also did not give me water, so that's in your favor, because after coffee you can only preach so long when you're thirsty. The odd thing, uh, you know, as as Anglicans, we read from a lectionary. Do you guys know what a lectionary is? It's like they break the scriptures up into lessons that go with the seasons of the year. And there are four lessons every Sunday. And in theory, they've cut a few out, but in theory, over several years, you would have the entire Bible read on Sunday morning. And guess what the, the gospel lesson was for today? What was the theme of the gospel lesson? Marriage and divorce and remarriage. I have to say, uh, I'd almost rather preach on tithing. <laughs> I'm actually not going to preach on that. It's not because I'm afraid to preach on that. I actually wrote a sermon uh, about divorce and remarriage. And, and, and so I just want to briefly address that. And then we're going to move to another passage. Because I don't, I don't think that particular teaching is the best teaching for a Sunday where children are being baptized and people are making commitments to Christ. It's a little disjointed. So, but again, I'm not afraid to preach on it. What I wanna tell you is that um, God holds uh, the covenant of marriage holy, and, and it is a thing set apart. You think about God, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. There's this beautiful Trinity, one God, three persons, beautiful, perfect fellowship. And so he knows what it is to have that kind of intimacy, that kind of oneness, right? And he also knew when he came to earth, in some manner, the Bible doesn't explain it all to us, he knows what it is to be apart from his father. He knows what it is not to be directly in the presence of his father. And so I think it's in, in, that, in that vein he's saying, you know, um, from the beginning, God made male and female, and he made them one flesh. And, 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 and Moses did allow a, a certificate of divorce. He did that because of our hardness of heart, our hardness of heart. Um, but it, Jesus said, but in the beginning, it, it was not so. He made us male and female, one flesh, and that covenant was sacred and holy. Now, what's the, what's the problem as we look at that scripture? I know in my church, in renna we probably have at least 30% of our adults have had a failed marriage. And it'd be very easy, I know from my own mother, who tried uh, her best to, to, to honor her covenant and live in a godly way with my father. But he would not, but he would not. He did everything he could to sabotage that covenant. And so I understand uh, that there's brokenness and there's sin. I don't think Jesus here was giving uh, every thought he had on marriage. Uh, he, he clearly understood that there are, there's brokenness. Once sin came to the world, there's brokenness. And he understood um, uh, that, that at times, uh, you know, a man would hurt his wife or cheat on his wife or vice versa. He understood that. But still, he was saying, uh, male and female, that covenant is holy and sacred. Holy and sacred. Now, we're not preaching on that today. What I want you to look at is Acts chapter 2. I think this is... A, Uh, a passage that really speaks to your church, your body, and this time in your church. Okay, Acts chapter 2, and we're beginning at verse 42. And I want to teach you, I'm sure Brian does this all the time, and, and, and David, by the way, great hire on David. We wanted him in Roanoke, and it didn't work out, but I do believe God had him here for a purpose. You guys, you guys won the lottery. I just want to tell you that. You did. But one of the things you want to do when you read scripture is you want to look at what comes before it and what comes after it, right? Context, context. What, com- what comes before the passage and what comes afterwards? Otherwise, you might come up with a really wacky uh, or whacked out interpretation of what's going on, much like if you went into a movie midway through the movie, or if you heard a quote from a letter or an email, but you didn't have the context of it, you could really draw the wrong conclusions. And so I want you guys, if you, do you have Bibles or everybody have them on their phones now? I want you to look at Acts uh, chapter 2. Acts chapter 2, I know you guys know what happens in Acts chapter 2 anyway. Jesus had, had, had breathed on his disciples, but he, he said, I want you to wait. I want you to wait in the city. Don't go out. Don't try to do any ministry yet. Wait in the city and, and, and I'm going to send my Holy Spirit. And so we see in Acts chapter 2, on the front end of our passage, it says, uh, they were there. It says, they were all together on the day of Pentecost, the Jewish feast of Pentecost, where Jews from all over the world came. And I actually looked up this morning, because you think of Israel, you think of Jerusalem, how, oh boy, that's so big. It's not so big. Do you know, uh, the entire old city of Jerusalem is three times the size of Ghent. Does that give you perspective? And, and I'm guessing that as all these Jews from all around the world who spoke all these different tongues, as they were there, they probably weren't over every square inch of the old city of Jerusalem. So maybe they were really in an area about the size of Ghent. Isn't it that amazing? That's amazing. Does that give you some idea? And so the Holy Spirit fell. God, the Holy Spirit fell. And and, and and the apostles, the, the disciples began to speak in unknown languages. And it wasn't some kind of weird, charismatic bop, bop fest. They were speaking in unknown languages. But what actually happened is you had these Jews from all over the world, and, and, and these uh, followers of Jesus were filled with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit rushed on them, filled them, and they I actually don't think they knew what was happening. Uh, words came out of their mouth, real languages, not, not made up languages, real languages. And these Jews from all over the, the world were hearing about Jesus Christ, his death and resurrection in their own language or dialect. Isn't that amazing? It, it was so amazing to them that they thought they were drunk as they were hearing them speak in these unknown languages. It'd be fun if we all tried to speak like in, in, in foreign languages right now. But what they said is, we don't understand what these men are doing. Are they drunk? Are they drunk? They said, of course not. It's only nine in the morning. So anyway, the Holy Spirit fell. And then Peter, who's Peter? Remind me, who's Peter? Simon Peter. uh, He had just denied Jesus three times. He gets up. Scaredy cat Peter, who had denied Jesus, now emboldened and filled with the Holy Spirit, he gets up. And he boldly proclaims, he tells the story of the gospel, the story of God's uh, saving grace in Jesus Christ, and he really, he takes the Jews to task for, uh, for, for killing. He says, this Lord whom you have crucified, and he calls them to repentance, he calls them to repentance. And what happened is, maybe much to their surprise, after they had heard the good news, after Peter had challenged them, uh, many were cut to the heart. And they believed on the Lord Jesus Christ. It was a miracle. Jews, Jews believed on the Lord Jesus Christ. Over 3,000 that day. And so you see kind of a power encounter where God's Holy Spirit moved and the unthinkable happened. I I, I dare say that there was not one apostle that had any idea that this was going to happen. They had no idea the magnitude, the power of God working through regular men and women. And so uh, they go on on the front end and say, you know, the promise, this gift of the Spirit is is not just for you guys, but it's also for your children and your children's children. God's going to give this gift of the Holy Spirit so you can be empowered to do ministry, right? If we try to do ministry, if we try to share our faith without the power of God, without the Holy Spirit, good luck, good luck. It's impossible. You and I can't convert anybody. David, how many years have you gone to seminary? Three. Three. Brian, how many years have you get to seminary? Three. Yet, when you stare across the table to some highly intellectual person who has emotional, psychological, uh, intellectual barriers, maybe hurts, it's impossible for you to outwit them, to convince them, or to give them faith short of God's power. And yet God does have power. And so we see this on the front end. We see the power of the Holy Spirit And we see the the church doing the work of God and the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, I want you to skip the little verse we're going to be on. It's a tiny little verse, 42 through 47, and I want you to see what's in chapter 3. What's on the back end? Sometimes my context is longer than my sermon. What's on the back end? Well, it says, Peter and John were going up to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour. What, what would that be? So if sunup is about six o'clock, the ninth hour would be what? Three-ish, right? Three-ish. And, and, and it says as they're going up to pray, so you see that just like there was prayer, you know, it, uh, before, on the day of Pentecost, they were all together. We believe they were praying and waiting for the Holy Spirit, uh, but here on the back end, we see these men going up to the temple. Uh, we see them praying, and they encounter in verse two that says, a, "A man lame from birth was being carried, whom they daily laid at the gate of the temple that is called Beautiful." Isn't that ironic? So you're you have this lame man who I'm guessing felt anything but beautiful, right? You know how it is. A lot of times we shouldn't do this, but we see somebody with uh, a severe handicap. Or challenge or, or whatever. And instead of engaging that person, we feel awkward and we cross over to the other side of the street or we look at our iPhone because we don't want to engage that. It's just hard. We don't know what to do. And yet these men filled with the Holy Spirit and filled with love, absolutely positively engaged him. And so as they were going up, um, we see that he's asking them for money. He's asking them for alms. And Peter, uh, Peter the same one who had preached the sermon, he says, I have no silver or gold, right? I don't, I don't have any money, but such as I have, give, I will give to you. I don't, I don't have any silver or gold, but what I have, I will give to you. And he says, in the name of Jesus Christ, get up and walk. You guys, you just don't go around doing that, right? You wouldn't just go out to a hospital filled with people who are lame or who are um, paralyzed and say, get up and walk. But the Spirit of God directed them to this man. And it was a Holy Spirit moment. And, and by the power of Jesus, they said, we don't have money, but what we have, we will give you. And so in the name of Jesus, the powerful name of Jesus, get up and walk. And you know what happened? He did. He did. God is powerful. So you see on the, on the front side, you see the power of God at Pentecost. On the back side, you see the power of God in healing. So so the power of God is not given to make us feel good or feel spiritual. It's given for the kingdom and the king and those he loves. Now let's go to the little verse, which is our focus. It says in in verse 42, it's describing what is life like. It's kind of like a a snapshot. Uh, Maybe you're people that save things in your house. If you've ever moved and you're like, oh my gosh, I have all these things from 25 years ago or 30 years ago. And maybe you'll find an old book and you'll find yourself, I I find pictures of myself 40 pounds lighter. And I look so young, I look like a little boy scout. And so this is like a snapshot. It says they, uh, the followers of Jesus, the believers, it says they were devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and prayers. They were devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching, the fellowship, the breaking of bread and the prayers. Now, I looked up the word devoting themselves, and I could say the Greek word, but I'd butcher it, and y'all have so many PhDs here, I would hear about it later. So I'm going to explain it to you in good old boy language. How many of you guys have a dog? How many of you have ever had a dog? You either have a dog or you had a dog. Did you ever do this cruel thing when you were a kid where you have a steak bone, and you got a dog, and you're kind of teasing them with it? You're eventually going to give it to them, but not right away? And you go left, right, up, down, up, down. And the dog's head's going left, right, up, up, down. You ever do that? And the dog is like fixated, fixated on that bone. Really, the word there when it says they were devoting themselves to these things, they were just like that dog looking at that steak bone. They were locked in. It It was all their attention was being given to these things. These weren't nice little extras to make the apostles feel good, to make the leaders feel good. This was their heart, their desire. This was was the life of the church. And so what was it they were devoting themselves to? What was it that was like that bone the dog followed? Now, this certainly is not an exhaustive list, but this is an important list. Here are just a couple of things. And I would say, while it is um, describing what happened in the early church, If it's good enough for them, it's good enough for us. If these practices were good and healthy for the early church, they're good also for us. So what's the first thing they were devoting themselves to? The apostles' teaching. What does that mean? The apostles' teaching. Who were the apostles? Here's a trick. How many apostles were there? Maybe. How many apostles? How many original apostles were there? Twelve. And then we had a little mishap with a guy named Judas, right, right? And then they added another one whose name was? Matthias. Matthias. And then there are a couple other places in scripture where somebody else is called an apostle, right? St. Paul, he said, I, I am one untimely born, but he kept making the point, I am an apostle, apostle of Jesus Christ. Yes, I, didn't, I don't fit all the uh, rules and guidelines uh, that, that, that was, were put in place to replace Judas, Um, But I was one untimely born, but the Lord picked me to be an apostle. And then there's, I think, two or three others in scripture. I think there's Junius, and there's maybe one or two others. But whatever the case, it says the early church uh, 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 devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the didache, to the teachings that the apostles got from Jesus Christ. You would know those teachings as you would know those teachings given from Christ to the apostles as the scripture, the scriptures, right? Paul says, I pass on to you what the Lord Jesus gave to me. And so if you wanna know what the church was doing and what I think healthy church, churches will do now is that we, like the dog following the bone, we are locked in on God's word, the holy scriptures. It is not a pickle on the plate. And you go to the restaurant, you see the pickle on the plate. That's not what scripture is meant to be. You see the parsley on the plate, isn't that nice? Somebody in the back, threw that on your plate. No, it is the meal. The word of God is not to be relegated like a piece of parsley or a a pickle, a pickle. It says uh, the apostles' teaching was centered to their life. They spent their life reading God's word. I don't know if you guys spend time reading God's word. I tell our people, I understand that it's hard. You have to get in a habit. You have to cultivate a habit. And it's not enough for a bishop or a priest or or another priest or a deacon or somebody to yell at you, read scripture. No, no. You want to read scripture because the Lord says, it is not burdensome, it's your very life. It, it, It gives life to you. It's a light and it's a lamp. And so Uh, the apostles' teaching. So if you're going to get into God's Word, let me give you a couple practical things. If you're going to read God's Word, I'm guessing some of you read God's Word a lot. It's just natural for you. It's like breathing. It's like a backswing on a golf, uh, you know, whatever. Uh, It's easy for you. It's easy for you. But for some of you, you know, like you're not reading God's Word at all and you feel embarrassed about it, let me help you. Let me not yell at you. Let me help you. You need a time, a place, and a method. You need a time, a place, and a method. Right? So, you may be an early bird. If you're an early bird, raise your hand. Some of you get up at four or five in the morning. I don't understand that at all. I'm just going to bed at that time. Uh, some of you are, uh, get up late and stay up late. Whatever it is, God will work with you. But you must have a time. You must have a time set aside to get into God's word or you'll never do it, right? Well, kind of, kind of like going to the gym. I meant to, but if you don't have it scheduled, if you don't have it scheduled, it never happens. So I want to ask you, what, what is the time that you have set aside? And it doesn't have to be three hours. It might start by being five or ten minutes where you open God's word and you spend time with them. Do you have a time? Do you have a time? The second thing is, do you have a place? Do you have a place? I have a place. I have an old leather chair next to gas logs, next to a table where I set my cup of coffee. I have a time and I have a place. Do you have a place? Or do you just kind of fly by the seat of your pants? Because if you fly by the seat of your pants, it's not going to work any better than uh, not going to the gym because you don't have a time and a place. The last thing is, do you have a method? Are you just going to open up the Bible and play Bible roulette? Let me start in the beginning in Genesis 1 and work through Revelation. That's not going to work for most of you. Do you have a method for reading God's word? You know, Anglicans, we have... uh, The lectionary, and that's awesome. You can use that, and that's a great gift. But maybe uh, for some of you, you might say, maybe I'll just use the one year Bible. The one year Bible. You start on January 1st, and on January 1st, you read Genesis chapter 1. And then you read Psalm 1. And then you read Matthew 1. And then there's an epistle as well. So there's always four lessons, and every single day it marches you forward. I don't care if you use the one year Bible or if you use the lectionary, I don't care what method, I only want you to get in the word of God so you can be devoted to the apostles' teaching. So you need a time, a place, and a method. Do you have that? If you don't, I guarantee you, you're gonna be hit or miss. But today I wanna speak courage to you and say, leave here, let this be a catalyst, sit down and go, I'm gonna pick a time, a place, and a method. And so the early church was devoted to the apostles' teaching, what else were they devoted to? The quicker you answer, the quicker sermon ends. <laughs> fellowship. Fellowship, you guys. The fellowship. Koinonia. Participation. They were, they were joining their lives together. There's nothing more pathetic than, than a body of Christ that does not join their lives together. And that's why we're such big proponents, not only of worship, worshiping corporately, but also into small groups small groups. And I understand we're in a group that's 22 people and we need to split and nobody wants to split because we have formed this deep relationship. But in the back of my head, I keep hearing Christ say, well, yeah, if you, are you going to shut the door? That person you've been praying for for three, four, five years, that you are desperate for them to know Christ. When, they, when the Holy Spirit finally breaks that man or woman, your friend, and they're ready to step their, put their little toe in and try out uh, coming to see if, uh, taste and see that Christ is good. And all of a sudden your, your small group goes, Hey, sorry, we don't have any room because Hey, don't you understand? We've really bonded together and we have all this shared experience and we really just don't have any room for a new person because you wouldn't really fit in. I want to tell you, I understand that, but that is not of the Lord. A group like that, God will shut it down. Eventually people die, people move, people backbite, people fight. It's not the kingdom way. And so I would encourage you guys, like the early church, be devoted to the apostles' teaching, but also to the fellowship. Are you making any time in your life to have fellowship with other believers? If not, I'm going to say you're starving yourself. What's the, uh, what's the third thing they were devoted to? The breaking of the bread, the breaking of the bread, the breaking of the bread. What does that mean? What does that mean? Does that mean like just eating a meal or does it mean Holy Communion? eating a meal or Holy Communion? Eating a meal or Holy Communion? Or does it mean both? The scriptures say on the first day of the week, they broke bread together. There are other passages that say uh, they went to the temple courts day by day, right? And house to house. The temple courts day by day and house by house. We knew the early church, yes, they shared meals together, but they also broke bread, Eucharist, they gave thanks together. They had the Lord's Supper on the first day of the week and probably many other days. And then Christ was really known to them. There's something super powerful. You know, my guess is uh, three years from now, you won't have a clue what I said. Probably three days from now, you won't have a clue what I said. they are Monday mornings. I'm like, honey, what did I preach on yesterday? You forget. But you don't forget this feeding. The Lord meets you in this feeding. Every time you break the bread, you take the bread, you take the wine. The Bible says, is it not a participation in the body of Christ? The bread, is it not a participation? The blood, it's not simply a sign or a symbol. It is, the scripture says it's a participation in the blood of Christ. It is an overwhelming, powerful event. And so we see the apostles teaching the fellowship of the breaking of bread. And what's the last one? prayers. How many of you guys could say I'm lazy in prayer? You see my hand? I'm lazy in prayer. I need, I need my church family because I am in naturally lazy in prayer. Lazy, 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 lazy. That doesn't give me an excuse, does it? it? Doesn't give me an excuse. But I love coming together with my brothers and sisters so we can pray together. And what I found is the more I do that, actually the easier it gets for me to pray to the Lord on my own. I find that God is so faithful, right? In spite of my um, slothfulness, my laziness, my non-natural bent with prayer, God brings names of people. He does it. So like the early church, we wanna be devoted to the teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And what was the result of the early church? As the Holy Spirit was falling on them and they were devoting themselves much like the dog, these things, what what was the result of it? Look at verse 43. It says, and all, and all, like all in wonder, all came upon every soul and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. You guys, you know the best church growth strategy? It's not to mail out mailers. One of our church plants sent out like 4,000 mailers to everybody in the neighborhood. They're very evangelical, our church Guess how many people came on Friend Sunday? Zero. It doesn't work. But we see in the early churches, they were devoting themselves to these things that all came upon people. The Holy Spirit was moving. God doesn't need gimmicks. He doesn't need tricks. But as we devote ourselves to the things the apostles devoted themselves to, it says, all came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And then it says, and we need to wrap up, but it says, and all who believed were together. See, in the American life, it's so easy to want to kind of do our own thing, be the captain of your own ship, go your own way. But we need to come together. We need to come together as one to make space and time in our lives to be together. And it goes on in verse 45. I I know that Uh, my church growing up, they hated this verse. I don't even think they even read it in church. It says in verse 45, and they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. A lot of, a lot of Christians would say that's socialism, but a lot of Bible scholars would say um, that is descriptive, not prescriptive. It's, it's a descriptive statement, not prescriptive. The early church, very early on, they were selling all the things they had and they were keeping those things in common and giving to anybody as they had need. But we also see later in scripture where it says, um, um, give according to your means, right? We're not, we don't want you to be hard pressed and somebody else to get off scot-free. Everybody give according to their means. So if later we're seeing that people are giving according to their means, what would that tell you about this verse? that they were not continuing to hold all things in common. It was not socialism, okay? But, 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 but the point would be that they realized that everything they had came from the Lord. Everything you have and I have comes from the Lord, and we should use it for his kingdom good. It says in verse 46, and day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day. So you guys want to know how to grow? You want to know how to grow? There's no gimmick. You want to know how to grow this church? I would say you can't grow this church. You want to know how this church is going to grow? The Holy Spirit. You want to know how the church is going to grow? God, through the Holy Spirit, is going to use these gifts and graces of you spending time in God's word, of you guys having real community, real community with an open door and an open chair, that, that, that fellowship. God's going to grow this church as you break bread and, then, and as you receive the Lord's Supper, you're participating in the body and blood of Jesus and he's known to you. And life happens and you're being changed. And finally, God's going to grow this church through your prayers. You know what? I I have no worries. There are plenty of customers out here in Norfolk. Your city is huge. You don't need a gimmick. You don't need to be anxious or worry. What you need to do is ask the Lord of the harvest. And you commit yourself to these things and watch what God does. I'm going to tell you, he loves those people out there that are lost way more than any of us. And if we devote ourselves to the things the apostles did, the Holy Spirit will do the hard work. I want to encourage you guys, devote yourself to the things the apostles did and watch and see what the Holy Spirit will do. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen.